0: in session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to um, the books of the week or uh, really there's going to be two this week because I didn't have any shows last week so I'll do a, um, this book that I'll announce now on this Friday's show and that book is The Creative Act a way of being by rick rubin the creative act this this book just came out recently rick rubin is a um famous well-known american music producer and uh, heard good things about this book power home my brother had read it and also um i like rick rubin's work or some of the artists he's collaborated with so looking forward to reading this and sharing it with you on friday's show The book of the week from essentially two weeks ago that I'll be talking about tonight is *The Guermantes Way* by Marcel Proust. Um, This is volume three of seven of Marcel Proust's book or work *In Search of Lost Time*, Um, and actually the lengthiest one in the ways that actually I have the copies. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm even saying that name correctly. I did try to look it up, and heard some different. Uh, pronunciations, but it's the Guermantes way. And the Guermantes family is this um, aristocratic uh, noble family in France. And so this book takes place in around early 1900s, France. And um, really, I I was uh, on a plane and someone asked me, what is the book about? And the book is not about a whole lot in some ways, but it's also about everything at the same time. I say that in the sense that these books, there's not a lot happening in the plot to say it's fast moving and um, really dramatic things are happening. Um, it really focuses a lot, this book in particular, on some of the aristocratic life of individuals during that time in France and Paris and what they're going through and things that happen. But there is so much depth. In the book going into details of every thing that people are thinking and what they're saying but not saying and the depths of what they might be actually thinking and feeling and not expressing Um, and in that way it's about everything in the sense that it's about life and most great literature is about life the human experience um, and what we do and don't do and how we live our lives. And through that, although I used to be someone like this in my younger years who would think from fiction, we can't learn anything. We should read nonfiction books to learn things. Uh, I realized how wrong that was and seeing that in fiction, we can learn so much about life. And really, if we enjoy um, an author and their their works of fiction, really... As I read this book again, I was reminded of how much an author is not a storyteller, but really a philosopher, because through their book and what happens and what the characters express, how it's looked at, viewed, how it's uh, judged by people in the book, by the author, if there's a narrator, in a variety of ways, they're sharing a philosophy of life, not just stories. And very much I felt that in this book, that when you're reading You're getting a sense of his views on things in a very deep way of uh, how we live our lives, what makes a good life, um, morality, a whole host of things. And he's very much the observer. So when you are reading this book, uh, for example, the last part of the book, a hundred or so pages took place just at one dinner party. And it wasn't that so much happened, but there was just conversations that were happening and then, in a way, commentary on the conversations. The narrator, in a way, is someone like Proust himself, a, a young writer, and it follows his life. Uh, again, this is a third of, of seven volumes, so still less than halfway through the book or through this series of, of novels that become one one piece of work. And so he's still a young man at this point. Um, And so he's at these, this very fancy uh, dinner party. And, but again, not a whole lot is happening as far as um, big dramatic events, but just these conversations and seeing the ways that people think and, you know, the ways they make jokes and the underlying undertones of things we might not even notice. That's really what this book is or Proust is about. And that's, for me, very fascinating and interesting. I would get very engaged in trying to understand these people, these characters. And the last time I'd read the second part of this book, this is the third one, um, was a little while ago. So it took me some time to reconnect and to reenter this world and to see what was in there. Um, But, yeah, quite fascinating. And I highly recommend anyone. I'm actually very much looking forward to reading the next four to complete the the full novel or the full piece of work and it really is that a piece of work. It's really quite remarkable and I hope you'll read it. Um, but going into some of the other themes that come up in this book, one of them that I noticed in the other ones I, I recalled uh, is this theme of how we idealize or view things in our mind versus how we then, experience him or what we actually experience for example he talks about this woman that he loves or he thinks he loves or he's infatuated with and the ways that he imagines her is so different from then what he experiences when he is with her and how much she has changed for him and goes into these details even just of him going in to kiss her on the cheek you get a few paragraphs or, uh, of, of what that experience was like as he got closer and the experience in his lips versus his eyes and you know this depth of that that you might not even consider in one moment of a kiss, but there can be so much there. Um, but we, we see this in the previous novel or the previous volume where he talks about going to see this famous actress and in his mind he'd already built up how incredible she is um, and how much she's gonna just wow him with her performance and then the interesting part is once the play starts he thinks it's her but it's not her and then he thinks it's someone else and he can't even tell who she is essentially and then she does he does and is very disappointed and so um it's so much so like the ways we idealize people in our lives we idealize different figures in our lives making them something different than what we experience and then now in this one he sees her perform again and actually sees how good she is because in a way she's released from that idealization she doesn't have to live up to that and we also see him idealize other women in the in the book uh, in this one in particular where he is trying his best he every day changes the path he goes for these walks to just run into her this duchess de guaramantes just to see her and later on in the book he's invited to her home and And sees her, and really, she's lost this value of being this um, put on this pedestal, and and all that. So that was something interesting. This difference between what we imagine things, how we imagine things, it reminds me of how people these days they are with one person, and they're texting another friend, and then they're with that friend, they're texting the friend they were with the other time. So there's ways that we. Don't make use of our time. And that's a theme of this book in search of lost time is the the full complete volume of how we use time or how we don't use our time and experience things. And so I am fascinated to see as. He gets older. I don't know if the book ends with his death or uh, late in life. I guess he's writing the book. It wouldn't be death because the author is recounting the stories, Um, but how he reflects on life and things of that sort. So uh, it's one of those slow burns because, again, it's seven books. This book itself was about 600 pages. Some of the other ones are 500, 400 pages. So it takes quite some time. Um, But there is a very meaningful Experience in that. And even with that, the use of time. It feels like there's so much time it takes to read, let's say, a piece like this, but it actually feels very valuable. And so often in life, we experience that where it's the things that we do might feel mundane or slow. They tend to be the more meaningful experiences. Just spending some time with loved ones doesn't mean doing something so exciting or has to be some big event. It's just those slow, memorable moments, memorable because they're meaningful, that make life something, not something um, quick and dramatic that we might be more drawn towards. And so this book is an experience of that as well for me. That's what I've experienced uh, reading it. And so as I mentioned, um, he is a, in a way a philosopher. When you're reading any novelist write their works, you are going to be in touch with what they see and how they see the world. And hearing the things he says at times can be very, very poignant. He makes certain observations about interactions, about feelings, about um, the ways people think they're expressing their feelings, but it comes off a certain way or they're even tricking themselves. And near the end of the book, as I mentioned, there's this long part of the book that's really at one dinner party, maybe a hundred or so pages and after that and really what he experiences he sees at this dinner party so many people that had these fancy titles and were part of noble families of these um, lineages that were quite respectable and part of high society and before he had been to a dinner party of this sort he talks about how he imagines it to be and how these people to be and really again going to that sense of idealizing seeing them not just as mere mortals but somehow different but then after this night with them really in a way seeing they aren't all that special or all that different from others or that they really shouldn't be put on this pedestal to a degree, to, to some degree and he doesn't say it in that way exactly but you do get this sense of this disillusionment that you know he's brought down to life uh, or brings them down to life or to reality And they're not quite what he imagined or the way he had imagined them but he shares that he's leaving um, this party and goes in a carriage to actually go somewhere else and that that itself is another part of the story really when i've talked about fiction on the show i realize for multiple reasons even though i do summaries or discussions the summaries should not be about the plot so much one because i don't want to spoil it for you i hope you'll read it and two as i just said earlier the plot is not really what makes the book. The book is about the perspectives and the things that he shares within whatever is happening or how those things actually allow for him to express that philosophy. To me, that's, that's what you take, but he, he shares so many things that have to me a lot of psychological value. And so he leaves this dinner party and he has kind of this feeling that he describes. And then he talks about how, there are different ways that we can experience certain pleasures or feelings. So I'm actually going to read just a brief passage from the book. This is really close to the end um, of the book from page 545. So again, now he's in this, uh, um, carriage about to go somewhere else from the dinner party. And so he says we are free to abandon ourselves to one or the other of two forces, one arising in ourselves, emanating from our deepest impressions, the other affecting us from without the natural accompaniment of the first is a joy, the joy that springs from the life of creative people. The other current, the one that aims to introduce into us the impulses by which people external to ourselves are stirred is not accompanied by pleasurable feeling, but we can add pleasure to it through a vicarious reaction, adopting an intoxication so artificial that it quickly turns into melancholy into boredom, whence the gloomy faces of so many society people and their pronounced tendency toward nervous conditions that may even lead to suicide. So he talks about how he leaves this party and this exhilaration, this excitement, trails off into melancholy. And I think that's something that many of us have experienced. When you leave a party or leave some kind of a exciting event, you, you might tail off into this you know, into some kind of blues, which can come about for many reasons. But he shares this feeling of how there's a a feeling that comes from within that is, uh, comes to us and brings us joy. And it's the life of creative people, something very genuine coming from within themselves. And then the other one is stirred up from outside people or outside sources, like a phone call. I don't know if you can hear that. (laughs) We we had a little bit of a a phone incident here. Um, But there's a type of feeling we get from outside people are outside sources that we can kind of try to stir it up within ourselves, but it leaves us feeling sad when it's coming from without. And he has this feeling he's been around what should be the kind of people you want to be around having the kind of night. Everyone is dying to be in the, these types of salons, these types of places with these, um, well-to-do and very respectable people with titles and others would die to be in his position so it should be so exciting but he leaves and he has this melancholic type of a reaction Who realizes this pleasure this exhilaration is not really genuine and i thought that was so fascinating i read that paragraph um, a few times over to really take it in even more that feeling that he was describing that we um think we should be looking for these types of outside pleasures from outside people. And that if we, let's say, were to hang out with this crowd or that crowd or be friends with this person, it'll make us happy and make us feel good. But we see how empty it is. And so, of course, this book uh, came out over 100 years ago. So much of what we experience today as far as social media and certain types of technology were not around back then. But we see how much we still um, have those same tendencies that we think if we look a certain way or we interact with certain people or have certain friends we will feel good and we see how empty that actually is but when it comes from within a more genuine type of expression that can lead to actual joy and actual good feeling so um i highly recommend starting the first of these i think it's called uh, swan's way is the first one but um this is the third one and as i mentioned i don't even know if i'm pronouncing it right the Guaramantes way when i say it that way it almost sounds latin but um this is volume three of seven in of search uh, in search of lost time by marcel proust highly recommend it um, and also as i tend to do i don't read fiction that often but every time i do i try to remind the audience that i think it's great to read non-fiction and to learn from them what you can learn from them but not to forget to read some works of fiction because there's so much we can learn and gain from gain from those as well All right, let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So last night here in Los Angeles was the annual Grammy Awards, the 65th Grammy Awards. And I'm sure um, any of you listening probably know what I'm gonna talk about next because many awards were given out before the ceremonies and during the show. But there was one that all of us Iranians were waiting to see who would win and hopeful uh, that the winner would be uh, Shervin Hajipur for his song. And that was the award for best song for social change. And um, like many of you, I was tuning in and I-, I kept trying to see first just to make sure they were going to televise that award because they don't televise every award, as you might be aware. And so as was getting later in the show and it still was not announced i thought maybe it wasn't happening and then there it was it happened kind of happened so quickly not, not expecting it to to be the award that was announced and the way that it was announced unlike other awards where the nominees are announced and then winners announced here just the winner was announced and so jill biden who's the first lady of the united states of america she presented the award and she announced it and it was Um, Of course, we we won't blame her too much for not being able to say the title of the song quite right. My Farsi is not great, and I'm uh, Iranian-American. So um, I think she kind of said it more like Boraya, but it was close enough. And she mentioned what it's about and why it became so popular. And so like so many Iranians watching around the world, I was uh, brought to tears and so excited and happy and couldn't believe what I was hearing and seeing Uh, and so happy to see that the song got the recognition it deserved, but of course, it's more than a song. It's become an anthem that has, it represents the movement and the um, movement towards a revolution that is happening in Iran right now and all of us who are supporting it. And so I also saw a video, I'm sure many of you did, of Chervina, uh, it looks like a friend, videoing him or someone, a loved one, uh, seeing that the song won the award. and of course it was very touching to see that but also you know I felt mixed feelings seeing it because I thought I I don't know that he his reaction had an awareness of that this could be seen and he's not in an easy situation he's still actually facing charges and I think his court date or whatever you want to call it is still upcoming I say whatever you want to call it because um, what we've seen is usually court that is very unfair and just a decision that is made beforehand because of people with more power who want to make a decision that benefits them. So I felt watching that, that you could see he was kind of mixed, that if he reacted too strongly and then this video is released or shown, what is how does that look? But, you know, he couldn't hide the feeling. You could feel it that he was just amazed. And this young man who created a song in his bedroom and it become became something much bigger than I think he could have ever imagined and now it's winning a grammy being announced by the first lady of the united states of america it's, it's really incredible um and so i'm sure you all heard the song so many times uh it's become something that any protests you go to it's being played people are just listening to it regularly and he wrote the song based off of tweets that people uh wrote and you know that's that word battle yeah which is it's kind of hard to translate especially into one word i've seen for one time which i but i don't think that was as good because of i've seen which i think is a little bit more um captures it a little bit better so it's like because of this because of this because of that that's why people are protesting or why they want to see change and so um yet again we see that when you try to silence the voice of the people of course this was a song but because it was other people's words and many people were promoting the song um, you try to silence them, but you can't, and, and it becomes even louder. So they tried to suppress the song. They arrested Chervian, and he then when he came out, he had to make some comments. Most people felt pretty sure were pressured by the government that he had to say what he said, of saying, don't use it for political use, or you know, he didn't mean it in that way, or whatever it was he exactly said. We know not to take that word as much. We'll take the words that he sings to be what he really feels which is what so many of us feel so yeah it was um quite quite in a, a moment to see that and you know i was very happy and i don't know what the result of that will be it is of course um the award itself it's not that it has no value but the value of it comes from we're hoping it continues to lead to recognition that hopefully many people are watching i'm sure millions of people were watching the grammys and that some of them knew or maybe didn't know about what's happening in iran and i hope it brings continued attention even that the first lady is saying it has some potential value or meaning Um, what that means i don't know but i hope that it has something that means that this story won't go away because sadly it's very easy for a story to be forgotten and people to be suffering to be Forgotten. We don't want that to be the case with um, what is happening in Iran. So, yeah, it was it was a wonderful moment um, for everyone. I think for months now we've been talking about it and and really not sure what to expect. Is the award going to be given in what way? How what's going to happen? And so, how is the government going to feel about this in Iran? I don't know. I can't imagine they liked it. And then with him going to court or being tried soon i don't know how it's going to affect that either this is always you know for me the mixed feelings that come up with everything that happens i hope it doesn't bring anything negative towards him in any way maybe it even leads to some protection because he's going to be more of a well-known figure so the government has to be more careful these things are so hard to to predict and so i don't even know sometimes what to hope for in specific instances of what's the best thing to happen. Even when people say, well, we hope America gets involved or this country gets involved. It's like, I I don't know, because w- what will, what are they going to do? I think we have to do something and I hope they get involved and in the right way, but I'm not sure exactly what to wish for. But it did feel like a, a victory, much bigger than an award ceremony victory, a victory for people who are suffering for uh, the voices that he gave voices to as well. So we outside of Iran try to give voices of the people of Iran, by, by creating that song, he shared voices in a way that none of us could. And this is, again, the transformative and powerful um, impact that art can have. People had said all the things he said. They, of course, tweeted them, and they are saying, woman, life, freedom. Azadi. But him singing it became something that no one else could just do with mere words. And that, that was quite incredible. And so I think yet again, we are seeing the power of art to transform hearts, minds, bring people together, something that we can never undermine. So often we can do that to make art seem like a afterthought or something for fun or something that's not real or serious like math or science or other things. Uh, Even how we encourage our youth and young ones young ones of what to study and not to study and that art should not be something you do as a career you should do other things and art can be something you do on the side Um, which I always find interesting especially in Iranian culture where so many of the people we most admire are people like our poets from uh, our history the people who were artists so if those people went and um, studied science or whatever else they could at that time we would have not had their art which we still consider transformative and such a rich part of our, our history and our culture. And so I, I hope people recognize that this is another reminder of that, that we can't undermine the importance of art in our own creative expressions. Not, almost none of us will write a song like shervin did capture a moment and a movement so brilliantly, eloquently, and powerfully in, in one few minutes of a song, but we all can tap into that creativity, the book I'm going to read this week focuses on that and express things in ways we might not even think we could or not realize that we have that power and that capacity. And speaking of things we can do, this one doesn't involve a huge amount of creativity, but does involve our dedication and consistency. Uh, This Saturday, February 11th, there are protests going on all around the world to continue the support of what is happening uh, in Iran. And it's to also mark the anniversary of the revolution that unfortunately brought about the Islamic Republic 43 years ago, or I guess it 44 years ago, uh, I think it's 44 years ago. Um, so February 11th, I hope you will um, participate again. They are all over the world in Los Angeles. It's uh, at 12 noon in downtown. So I hope you will um, be there and make your voice heard we all can do our part in that way most of us won't write a song that's going to change much but we can do that we can go uh, participate in in the protest so again yes this saturday february 11th at 12 noon in los angeles at 200 north spring street that's where the protest will begin i don't know if it's a march like some of the other ones have been likely it will be but i hope you will go there and and spread the word as well tell others to go people are actually expecting these ones to be quite large with lots of people attending so we want to make our voices heard I actually think the Grammy winning song and and with what happened at the Grammys might even motivate people even more to get out there I'm hopeful of that that people will feel inspired that the voice our voices are being heard in some ways because even I think uh, I heard Um, Shervin said something that it's basically, um, you know, all of people's voices and words that that were what got the song to become what it is. It was their words that became this this powerful. So I hope to see you there if you're in Los Angeles this Saturday. But again, please check to see when you can participate uh, in your protest. It does seem small. I know I've talked about this many times because people... It's my nice wonder, should I go? What's the difference if I go? Um, your going or not going doesn't change much, but all of us going makes a huge impact. So really hope to see you there uh, on, on Saturday. And again, what a moment um, that was last night, seeing the, the First Lady of the United States announce that Shervin Hajipur is now a Grammy Award winner. It's quite amazing to think that uh, this young man, 25-year-old, is now a Grammy Award winner. And it's much, much bigger than that. The, the, the winning of the award is one thing, the freedom that we're hoping for the people of Iran, that's really what this is all about. And it's a reminder that you try to silence people. They're silencing his art. And that's what has been happening for 44 years now, silencing the voices of people, silencing women and letting them have their own voice and be their own people and silencing so many others and that's what we can see what do we lose when we silence people we lose so much look at the art that he created just in a few minutes and even that is trying to be taken away but but they couldn't think of all the voices that have been silenced and so we will continue to amplify the voices of the people of Iran. share their stories share what is happening and we can't give up on that so a big congratulations to Shervin and hajipur but of course to all of the Iranians in Iran who are continuing to fight, that this is their anthem. And to all of us outside who will continue to amplify their voices, share their stories. Let's go to the last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You know, I was just talking about um, the Grammy Award uh, win, the Grammy Award, award for Shirvin Hajipur and what's happening in Iran we're all still saddened by what's happening there of course we were so happy to get that victory I think also some of what we felt was the joy of so much pain and it felt like a victory a win something tangible that was there and so we're still worried heartbroken we still see sad news every day and there isn't just sad news in Iran I'm sure you're aware of the earthquake that happened uh, affecting people in Turkey and Syria Um, last time I checked I think close to 3,000 people at least had been killed and maybe those numbers will continue to rise unfortunately and so um, yeah I I don't even know what to say about it I mean I've seen some videos of literally buildings collapsing from the damage of the earthquake after the earthquakes and just people lives ruined families um, torn apart or lives, um, lost to it and people grieving and suffering. It's very, very heartbreaking. And I don't have something positive to say about it. And I guess that's, that's why I wanted to talk about it was that things in the world will make us sad and break our hearts. And this is one of them. And we might want to turn away from it because it hurts. And I've talked about this topic many times recently because of what's happening in Iran that it can be easier to not care or to somehow avoid thinking about it because it's too painful to think about it because we know that we can't fix it. And when we get into that situation, the solution we unconsciously can come to, sometimes even consciously, is just let me not look at it or justify what's happening. Well, people suffer, things are going on, things happen. Maybe they should have not been there. Maybe whatever it is we come up with. And I will, will encourage all of us, including myself, to turn towards those people that are suffering and the suffering that is going on and help in some way. Um, I've seen many posts and about ways you can contribute to disaster relief that is happening uh, or that needs to happen. In turkey and syria and of course the more you post things the more it puts pressure on governments that people care and want something to be done so again as has been the case with what's happening in iran don't underestimate that it can seem very trivial or uh, when you think about posting on social media something just not significant or almost we feel weird about doing that but it does have an effect if a billion people are talking about something that has more of an impact than if a thousand people are. That's just the world we live in. It's always the case, but um, it's kind of like another form of democracy, maybe not a great one in some ways, but it's as many voices are heard, and the more a certain topic or issue is brought up, the more it's likely to have something to be done about it. So it's just very sad when you see these these videos of how people are suffering. Uh, in Iran last week, there was an earthquake in um a city, uh, I think, Hoi, um, and lots of damage was done there, and people were dealing with the 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 aftermath of that. And so um, unfortunately, there's not a shortage of human suffering in the world. And to me, that's one of the responsibilities we all have is to reduce that suffering in whatever ways we can. And of course, the ultimate goal is to eliminate it. Eliminate all the ways that people unnecessarily suffer. When I say unnecessarily, I mean that there's things that can be done, resources available that are possible to help, but they don't get there for whatever the reasons might be. Um, International issues, uh, the ways that wealth is distributed, a whole host of things. And so we want to move towards that. But we have to be aware that likely in our lifetimes, we won't get there, meaning that you won't get that satisfying feeling that the suffering is gone completely or eliminated. It will still be here. A bad situation will still be bad. It just might be less bad. And so when we think of it from a distance, we can justify, well, what difference does it make? If there's 10,000 people and it becomes 9,999, who cares? So is that really different? But it's that life that you have to remember that one is not just a number it's a human being and so as painful as the videos can be of seeing people suffering there's something that a five second video can do that a 500 page report won't do you feel something so automatically so viscerally you feel it in your whole body your whole experience becomes heartbroken or saddened by what you see and it makes you want to act or help in whatever way that you can and so i hope you will help in whatever ways you can in this situation and in general to always have that focus or to have that be a priority in your life to take care of others in some way we first of course have to take care of ourselves another topic i've discussed at length because i see people uh, burning out when it comes to what is happening in iran that we might overwhelm ourselves, or we might um, want the change to happen so fast and so quickly that if it doesn't, we think we should just give up, or it's pointless because caring can be uh, a heavy burden to bear to keep caring and not see some tangible result. So, of course, we always have to have that balance of taking care of ourselves. But I hope that we always can have a focus on how can I make the world better, how can I leave a legacy, not of my name necessarily being remembered, that not being the focus, but of doing good that then affects others. And of course, there are ripple effects of if you do good, it helps others. They can do more good, but also people seeing you do good or that becoming part of the culture will continue to have an effect. And quite selfishly, if we do good and we help others, we feel better as well when You ask people what they regret in life. No one responds, I I wish I didn't help so many people or I wish I didn't do these things that helped other people. That's something that people always will feel good about when they reflect on their life. And if anything, wish I that they did more. I wish I helped more people. I wish I gave my time in these ways. I wish I gave money in these ways. I wish I came up with ways to help more people to come up with a program or do whatever it is that I could do to help more. So. We sometimes need reminders to do the things that feel good. Maybe you want to exercise, you want to read more, you want to do other things that help you in the long term. Very often we don't do them and we need reminders um, within ourselves and from others of doing good things. And so to me, it can be important to make helping other people um, at the forefront of how we live our lives or a value that we have. And it's something I... Uh, of course, also remind myself and need those reminders because it can be so easy to drift away from what's going on in the world when we feel overwhelmed or feeling like we don't want to see it or look at what is happening. But I I say this um, as is so much of what I talk about on my show. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking with you in the sense that I am also trying to um, be reminded of these things, to make make things like this a priority because it could be easy to forget that. So I hope you'll give money to the disaster relief. I also hope you will look for the suffering that is happening around you as well. So we can definitely focus, and we should, on the international suffering and things that are happening around the world, especially as it comes to um, spreading the word and the stories as we've talked about so much about what is happening in Iran. But I often feel that people at times think that the, the suffering, the only suffering is the one that's happening somewhere else or that's on uh, TV, not realizing you probably drove by some suffering on your day-to-day, that people are suffering all around us or people have ways that they um, really could benefit from your help in in different ways. So I hope you will keep that on your mind as well, to not just think about the ones we see on TV, but that remembering that. There's so much that we don't see and so much that is even in your backyard i live in los angeles in the united states of america one of the wealthiest countries in the world and one of the wealthiest cities in the world and yet we have one of the highest rates or the highest numbers of homeless or unhoused people in this city so there are people that are in need of assistance and help um, everywhere and again that feeling when i even say it that way can be overwhelming then well what can i do about it Well, you're not going to fix all of it. You're not even going to fix a small percentage of it, but you can help one person today and that one person will appreciate it and will feel good. Um, Sometimes when we're feeling pain, it could be a reminder of this. I was somewhere um, last weekend and it was very, very cold, very, very cold. And I was in this one situation where I had to experience being very cold for a minute or two but it was a very very cold feeling and it, I told myself in that moment once I was warm once I was in a warmer area and still was heating up of a reminder sometimes you hear a story of for example oh these people were their plane crashed or they got stuck somewhere and they were in the freezing cold for the night or three nights and it sounds bad but when you hear it like that, it's like oh, okay yeah three nights it's not that you know maybe it's not that bad or I could get through it when you're like me in the studio that's actually a little bit warm and I think about being somewhere freezing it almost sounds like oh maybe it's not even bad maybe it's kind of nice it's kind of hot in here but when you experience it even for a minute or two as I did you're like oh my gosh imagine that even worse and you don't know when it's going to end that is unbearable or feels unbearable and it makes me realize that thinking of it is not that difficult is really just because I'm not experiencing it so when we feel a A momentary type of discomfort or pain um, at times it can be good to remember imagine that magnified by a lot and when you feel that pain for example when i was so cold and then i went into the the warmth how good that felt that relief and that removal of that pain that was very short-lived but it was very uncomfortable how good that felt imagine that for someone else or when someone is suffering and how can we say that is meaningless If anything, that is one of the things that brings meaning to life is that we can um, make people's experience better. Really, life is all of us experiencing our worlds, our experiences, our lives. If we can make it feel less painful, more pleasurable, that really to me is what life is all about and what the meaning is, is to make ourselves feel good. We can have that experience and we deserve to give ourselves that, but also giving that to other people it will never feel wasteful so um, it's another reminder we have to go into these discomforts this pain of looking at what's going on Um, one of the things that we have to realize is if you want to be connected to the world you have to be ready to be hurt and let down by it and be pained by it that's the only way you can be connected to the world just like it's the only way you can be connected to anyone's world if you get married and you get very close to someone Of course, we say that we don't want our ups and downs to be completely dependent on them. That's not going to be good. But of course, you will now care about what happens to them. They get sick. doesn't mean you have a horrible day, but it affects you. You feel bad if they experience something really bad. It might really affect you too. So if you're connected to their world, you're going to go uh, and be affected by their ups and downs. If you didn't get connected to them at all, you wouldn't. And so the same thing is true of the world, that if we're connected to it, if you want to be that world citizen that's connected to what is happening... You will be saddened by it, but you will also get to feel like you can make a difference, and you can. And I hope that we all will and will continue to do so. Seeing what happened in Turkey and Syria was heartbreaking. Of course, seeing what's happening here on is also an ongoing heartbreak that we're seeing. But in both cases, we can see what we can do, take that pain, and turn it into action. And I hope you will all do that, as I hope I will too. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. A big thank you to Ghazaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid al San Zendegi Azadi.